How many have been blessed the last two nights that we've been together? Amen. God has been just doing wonderful things. The Holy Spirit's just been freely moving. That's been my prayer. It's been your pastor's prayer. And, you know, as leaders, that's our responsibility to either uh, get in the way or get out of the way. And so we do our best as leaders to get out of the way to allow the Holy Spirit to work. And we believe that the Holy Spirit has been moving. How many agree with me on that statement? Amen. So I believe this morning, I shared it last night, I believe it's like a seal. It, it's it's going to be like the, the, the final piece of this entire week and this refreshing weekend. And uh, can I tell you something? Maybe more than anybody who's been refreshed, me. I needed it. I had a rough week. I got to be real honest. It was a tough one. Dealing with a lot of tough things and a lot of flesh. And, you know, uh, before I came here, I think I wasn't ready to lift my hands in praise. I was ready to close my fist and punch. Um, But seriously, being here with you has been such a refreshing time because we've just been together worshiping, glorifying God. And you know what? Isn't that real talk? How many have ever had a week where you felt like hitting something? Just me. You are very passive. No. <laughs> but when we deal with the hard things of life, there is something special when we come into God's presence and say, ah. And, you know, and that posturing genuinely is what the Lord begins to do the work. Because we are saying to God, I'm giving all these burdens back to you, Lord. All the weight, all the stress. I'm trying to fix everything on my own. The Lord's saying, that's good. It's good you have accountability and responsibility in your life. But there are certain things that only I can fix. And, you know, how much do we worry about things that are really out of our control? How much are we... Uh, allowing anxiety to enter our life out of things that are out of our control. And so when we come into the presence of God, it's like just laying that on the altar. And you know what? You will be refreshed. He is the comforter. Jesus said, it's good that I go so the comforter may come. You know what that tells me? As incredible as it would have been to have been a disciple for Jesus, Jesus himself said, you think this is good? Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Do you realize we are walking in the fullness? How many times have we thought, man, if I could have only walked with Jesus? You know, Jesus himself said, it's better that I go. So we are walking and living and breathing in a day where we are having something even greater than the disciples did. Can you believe that? That that's what Jesus himself said. And so let's just continue to ask the Lord to give us the fullness of what he has for our life. And I believe even today, some of you are going to walk out of here receiving a miracle that you've been believing God for, maybe weeks, maybe months, or even years. If you believe it, say amen. 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 God is so good. I want to read uh, today out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 37. And then we're going to say a quick prayer. This is out of the message translation, and Jesus is talking about Jesus, and it says that he put a child in the middle of the room, and then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one. Can everybody say that word? Say one. Whoever embraces one of these children, as I do, embraces me. And far more than me, God, who sent me. And the people say, Amen. 
Father, I pray for the next few moments that your Holy Spirit speak, encourage, and uplift every person under the sound of my voice, every person watching online. Father, I thank you that, Lord, whether we're here in the present and together, or, Lord, whether somebody's watching overseas, that, Lord, the same Spirit is moving and speaking and touching lives all over this earth. And, Lord, I praise you that even today, before we leave this room, we put an expectation, a demand on the anointing today to say, God, Lord, give us everything that you desire for us. And, Lord, we are going to lay it down on the altar, yield to the moving of your Spirit so we can receive what you desire for our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said out loud, say amen. 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 Come on, if you're happy, give God one more praise today. Amen. God is so good. Today I want to talk about Just Help One. Can we say that together? Say, Just Help One. Just Help One. I remember uh, I talked a little bit this weekend about some of my experiences and travels. And, you know, we always have a first moment in our life for everything, you know. I remember the first time I held a baby. It was actually my son. I had never held a baby until the delivery room. And my wife had just delivered our beautiful child, and they're coming to hand the baby to me, and I had no idea what to do. As they begin then to, here is your child. I'm like, and they're like, you have to support its neck. Like, I didn't know the head would just flop, you know. And my wife's like, he's never held a baby, you know. And I, I think I was the baby, you know, like, <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do. But there's a first time for everything. I remember the first time I kissed my wife and how special it was. I remember uh, the first time um, I, I walked in, in different things that I've done in life. And we all have these first time experiences. Well, I want to tell you real quick about the first time I ever went on a missions trip. See, I was 15 years old and I had never left the country. I was uh, born in, uh, and lived in Denver, Colorado in a suburb. And uh, I had never experienced anything. My father was a pastor and my mother. And so I just grew up in the church, and it was a big, thriving church. And so, you know, I, I didn't know much. I was, to be honest, I was kind of an entitled little PK, you know, spoiled brat a little bit. I got to be honest. I mean, your pastor's kids aren't that way because they teach them, you know, as they, you know, they, you know, lay the smack down a little, you know, and, you know. But my parents were busy and doing stuff, and so I kind of roamed the building as the, the heir to the throne, you know, just. You know, as a little kid, you know, I shared some how deviant I was as my thoughts when I was a child, you know. <laughs> but a mission trip came up for our youth ministry to go to Tijuana, Mexico. And so uh, I said, I want to go. I was 15 years old. So we flew to California and drove across the border. And we had a group of about 30 teenagers with us. And as we got into Mexico, uh, real quick, my eyes opened to something I had never seen, the poverty. I began to see uh, trash and just the streets and the whole field was different. You know, when, you, when you've never left the country, you just think the whole world is like what you've seen. And real quick, I learned that I'm not in America anymore. And, you know, it was a real eye-opening experience. And I remember as we arrived to the mission where we were going to be staying, it was a concrete building, very simple. You know, a good-sized building, but very humble. There's no carpet or tile. It's, it's concrete everywhere. You know, it's inexpensive. And then we get to the bedroom, and they said, they said, um, there's your bed. I said, I'm, <clears throat> there's no mattress. And they said, yeah, that's what your body's for. There's three boards. You won't fall through, so just lay down in your sleeping bag, you know. You, you know? And I thought, this, this is the mission field. I am suffering for Jesus, you know. It was, 
you know, these funny things, right? You know, the Lord has to break us in all of our own unique ways, you know? And this was one of my funny little ways. I had to be broken of some stuff. And so we get to the mission, and here I was, and I was so uncomfortable. And then they brought the food, and it was fine and all that. And I'll never forget, they picked names out of a hat, and we were going to build a home for a family in need. And so every day they would pick names out of the hat who got early shift. So day one, my name got picked out of the hat for early shift. Now, I didn't know this. So 4 a.m., the foreman comes in, and he shakes me. He goes, wake up, boy, you know? And I was like, oh, excuse me. I'm the pastor's son. I'm sleeping. For real. He goes, your name's Aaron, isn't it? I'm like, yes. He's like, well, your name got picked out of the hat. Get your butt out of bed, you know? I said, hold up. Where am I? He goes, you might be the pastor's son where you came from, but here you're working. So I got out of bed and took a cold shower, and I was ready to go. Now, my parents, uh, I wasn't really into construction as a kid, you know, my, my dad was a preacher, this wonderful, huge ministry, you know, and so we did different types of work, but construction was never one of them, and so I had never picked up a hammer, and, you know, swung it, hit nails into boards, you know, so I get to the work site, and they're like, all right, slap up them two by four, we're gonna put them in the uh, drywall, we're gonna hook them all together, we're gonna put some mud on it, we're gonna, you know, and they start talking all this gibberish to me, and I just stood there, he goes, what are you doing, get to work. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you were talking about right now, you know? He's like, take the stick, hit the metal, uh, you know? And it was just pathetic. I was terrible. You know, I eventually got better. But every day it was like just breaking me out of my comfort zone, you know? And when you take steps of faith, you can feel like this in a whole bunch of different ways. You know, for me, it was these silly things, but the Lord was pushing me out of my comfort zone. I was so uncomfortable on that trip at first. And the way we were building the house was right in the middle of a city dump. And I, you know, this was literally a ginormous city dump, just trash, and the smell was horrific. And I'll never forget when we drove into the city dump that morning, I could see children stark naked. They had no clothes. They were digging through the most putrid water and just drinking. And I'll never forget these kids, and they were just rummaging through trash. And it's grabbing this mush and just eating it. I mean, I was almost getting sick to my stomach. I was so overwhelmed by the reality of life in two-thirds of the world. I had no idea. I had no idea. And so my heart began to change, of course. And I began to realize, like, my life's not so bad. You know, I began to realize real quick that the food I was eating at the mission was not some mush off the ground. That would more than likely make that child sick and kill them or give them cholera from the water. You know, the Lord has to break us sometimes so that he can move in us and grow us. And so that's what began to happen. And so I'll never forget at the end of the week, we had the home. Now, it's a very simple home. It wasn't some mansion or anything. It did not have electricity or running water, but it was a structure on a foundation. It was built solid and proper. And here was the family. It was a, a, a sweet little man and woman and their one child. And I'll never forget, they wept and wept and wept, and we dedicated the house for them, and it was such a special moment. And then as I was standing there in the background watching this take place, I, I just was looking around at all the hundreds and hundreds of people I could see that were still the way they were. And, I, and, and something hit my heart. I said, 
this is it? And I, I was like, the youth leader said, we're going to change the world. This didn't change the world at all. I'm like, we, we built one home and look at what's left. We'd have to stay here for years to even take care of this one little, this one little village, this one little trash dump. And we're not even going to do that. We're just going to go back home. You know, God had done a change inside my heart. And this conviction and this injustice started screaming in my face of the reality of the world. And I just got overwhelmed and I was upset and angry. You know, I was an emotional little mess. And I'll never forget one of the youth leaders came and he looked at me. He goes, Aaron, 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 look at that family. You see that family right there? He goes, I know we can't change the whole world this week, but look at that family. You just changed their world. You have to focus on the mission that God put you on for this week. You, you were part of this. You were accomplished that mission. And yes, all these other people weren't get changed, but you can't save them all in a day, Aaron. You got to save the ones that God brings you. Are you in this room this morning? Because I want to tell you something I learned, and I pray that I can communicate this for just a couple of moments today. That the greatness of your calling and your destiny is not in the thousands of people. It's not in the millions of people. It's not in fame. It's not in the accolade. It's not in all these things that our flesh thinks it's in. It's in the one. Just help one. This is why Jesus said, whoever embraces one of these children as I do, embraces me and far more than me, the God who sent me. And all of a sudden, my eyes started to learn and my uh, ears started to hear that this was not about what I thought I had to do. This was about embracing the one that God put in front of me. And I'm telling you something, as you start looking at the ones God's going to bring you, you can change the world one life at a time. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. Just help one. And I share this Tijuana mission trip because it not only showed me how we could change the world for that one person, but there was another person who was changing that trip. It was me. God did some surgery on my heart that was needed that morning. He had to break some calluses off and some entitlement off and put a little humility inside of me and let me, you know, taste literally some dirt because I tripped once and got my face in the ground, you know? And like literally just started crafting a new person, the person that he wanted to be. Because see, prior to the trip, the one thing I was praying for was God use me. You ever pray God use you? And don't we have what we feel that should look like? We pray God use me and also here's the plan on how you can use me. I remember, I may have told this, I don't know, but I'll be quick. I tell a lot of stories, but I just pray it stirs your faith, okay? Because a lot of my life, let me tell you, is not so deep on the theology as much as it is on the action. And I remember I was praying, God, use me. Use me. Use me. You ever get really passionate and you say, yeah. Screaming, jumping. I yelled at God many times to use me. So here I was praying. And so I thought that by using me, that, you know, the phone call would start ringing. I, I thought the phone would just start blowing up in my office. Lord, I'm ready. You know, and I've been around all these big ministries and so, Lord, use me. Father, I'll say yes when Joel Osteen calls me for your glory. Father, when he sends his private jet for me, I will get on that for you. Lord, I'm your servant. Lord, when that limo 
limousine picks me up, Father, I'll get in it and drink the soda in the little cup for you. For you, Jesus. I'll go to the ends of the world at the Four Seasons. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. The Ritz Carlton is for you. So I'm praying, God, you know, that God had to change me. But I was praying, God, use me, and here's how you can use me. And I saw myself on big stages and fancy stuff, and right? You know, my mind was messed up, but that's what happens until the Lord actually uses you. So the whole time I'm praying, I hear in my heart, go downtown, go downtown, go downtown. And I'm like, that's like a 45-minute drive. I'm in the suburbs. No, 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 private jet. Private jet, Lakewood Church. Go downtown. I get in my car. I can't, like the Holy Spirit screaming at me. And I said, fine, I'll go downtown. So I drive downtown. I park the car. I'm in my early 20s. I'm supposed to be at the church praying and working. And I'm just walking around downtown. I don't know anybody downtown. I live in the suburbs. So I'm walking around downtown, and you know, sometimes downtown you'll see a lot of homeless and a lot of needs. Not this day. There was like nobody, just all businessmen everywhere, just drinking their coffee and walking by. I had no idea what I was doing. I felt like the biggest fool, just like an idiot. You ever step out in faith, do something for God, get ready to feel stupid. God takes the foolish things, confounds the wise, and sometimes we're the foolish things, you know? And so I felt like a fool. I'm walking around, it just felt so dumb. Then my phone rings. I thought it was Joel Osteen. I'm like, finally. I passed the test. Some big preacher's going to call me and come speak. I look at the phone and it's my dad. Well, see, my dad at the time was my boss and my pastor. And, and he was a deep voice. <clears throat> Aaron, where are you? I'm, uh, da hey, dad. Yeah, I'm downtown. Downtown where? Denver. What in God's name are you doing downtown Denver? I was like, well, I was praying this morning, and the Holy Spirit said to go downtown. Why? I have no idea. Then get your butt back here. We got work to do. And he hung up the phone. Now I really feel like a fool. And I'm just like, man, this, God, I, did, I obviously didn't hear your voice. I'm a moron. You know, I'm such an idiot, right? You ever felt that? The faith shaming you do to yourself? And I'm walking back just feeling like I missed it. And there's this one guy, and he had a sign that said, help. And instantly when I saw him, the Holy Spirit said, that's who I brought you here for. So I, I go up to him, and I say, sir, you have a sign that says help. What, can I help you? You hungry? He said, yeah. There was McDonald's. We went to McDonald's. I said, sir, what's going on in your life? And he began to cry. He just said, listen, I'm addicted to drugs. He goes, I, I have a family. I'm not a homeless person. He says, I have a wife. I have two children, but I had addictive personality. I didn't know it. I got this new job. These guys started doing these drugs. I never done them. I did them. I got hooked on them. It just totally spun my life out of control. I don't know. He's weeping. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, and here I was saying, God, use me to preach your gospel. God, use me to preach your gospel. And the whole time I'm saying it over here, I had my plan of what that should look like. My plan of use me to preach the gospel is a maybe a private jet, a limousine with a little Coca-Cola and, you know, a nice rich Carlton hotel room. And God's like, you want to really be used? It's time to go to the streets. 
So God says, you prayed for something, but you don't know what it looks like. And I want to encourage you on a little side road for a second. Stop praying and giving God the blueprint. You'll be disappointed. Just say yes and get ready for the ride, baby. Because following Jesus is a great adventure. Following the Lord and saying yes to his will and his way will do things in you if you'll just say yes. And you'll go places you never dreamed before. But let me tell you, it's the most satisfying, fulfilling thing you could ever do when you say yes to God. And so here I was, and, and, and he's telling me all this, and I'm just listening. I feel overwhelmed. How do I help this man? I'm thinking my dad's going to get more mad at me now. I'm going to get more late, and my mind is going a million directions. And he's, I'll never forget, he says, I have no hope. And instantly the Holy Spirit just rose out of me. I said, yes, you do. His name's Jesus. And he looked at me, and I'm like, I'm going to preach the gospel. Let me tell you who Jesus is. You're broken. You're addicted. But he's the chain breaker. And he wants to save you. He gave you that wife. He gave you those girls. And the enemy's just lying to you. Making you think there's no hope, brother. But there is hope. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And give him your heart. And he'll come in. And he'll take this broken mess that you are. And restore you. And set you out of the mud. And put you on the rock, brother. All you have to do is say yes. Will you accept Jesus? He said, I will. So I stood up and I laid hands on him at McDonald's. Shake up, 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 up. I mean, I'm Pentecostal, you know. I, I grabbed this dude by the face and I said, God, set this brother free, you know. I had the greatest revival service in that McDonald's. Luckily, in downtown, they didn't think anything of it. There's crazy people everywhere, yeah. And I mean, he received it. He's, I go, lift your hands. He's like this. I said, say, I love you, Lord. He's like, I love you, Lord. You know, I mean, we had revival in McDonald's. We got done. He's so happy. I mean, he's like, I feel different. I said, brother, that's because Jesus is real. And he's changing your heart. He's changing your life, man. And I, I, I was I'm genuinely tear up when I tell this story because it was so powerful. The anointing of God was so strong in that McDonald's. It was unexpected. It was just the glory of God. And I'll never forget after the moment, he opened his bag and he pulled out this rope and it was fastened in a noose. He said, I was going to commit suicide today. He goes, and you know right down the street there's the bridge? I said, yeah. He's like, I was literally walking there to hang myself. He goes, and I called out to God, I guess. I don't know anything about religion. I said, if there's somebody who's up there who loves me, now's your chance. And he said, I felt something in my heart say, write a sign that says help and sit down for 10 minutes. He goes, I put a timer on my watch and you walked up 8 minutes and 27 seconds into my 10-minute timer. And he goes, thank you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We got him connected with Salvation Army. We worked on a rehab program. We went and picked him up from downtown on the Sunday. We brought him to church. We got him on the phone. I'll never forget, he did a speaker call for us. And we heard him talk to his wife. And his, he told us, he said, baby, I want to get help. And she's crying. And she goes, do you want to talk to your daughters? You haven't talked to them in over a year. He says, please. And he's weeping, saying, daddy's coming home. 
Daddy's coming home. I love you. Daddy's not gone forever. And the girls are crazy, <laughs> shouting and crying and making all sorts of noise on the other end. And I'm just weeping the whole time. And I mean, the Lord just continued that surgery in my heart. And I'm afraid we put him on a bus and there's in the Rocky Mountains, beautiful rehab programs. And we sent him off and God restored that family. And to this day, those people are living for God and have health and happiness. And the experience was a part of many experiences in my life. And God began to show me something. It's not about the thousands. It's not about fame. It's not about all this stuff. It's not about the jet and around the nice hotel. Who cares about all of that? If you really want to follow me, just help the ones I put in front of you. See, God's looking for yielded vessels. He's looking for people that'll say yes. And here I was saying yes. Use me, use me, use me. And I meant it. God, I want to preach the gospel. And the Lord said, you know what? Joel Osteen's just fine. You know who needs you, though, is this brother downtown. See, the Lord's working a heavenly network in a way, and he's gotten prayers coming over here, and he's got people like me and you saying, Lord, use me. And he's got needs, and he said, I'm just going to connect them. And then the Holy Spirit speaks over here and draws here, and the miracles begin to take place. Let me tell you something. When we start getting the understanding that saying yes to God and helping one person at a time is the key to unlocking miracles, you will start seeing more miracles take place in your life than you've ever dreamed possible. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God is so good. Help just one. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40 say in the New Living Translation, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in so much as you did it to one, everybody say one, one of the least of these brethren, you did it to me. The way the world gears our mind is that impact only counts if you're on Instagram and have a blue little check mark next to your name. How foolish is that? But yet, the next generation gets so consumed with the obsession. That means I'm an influencer. No, no, no. Jesus never had a blue check mark, but he influenced are you hearing what I'm saying? The apostles never had a blue check mark. Believe me, they influenced. And you don't need these little things of the world to create influence. The only influence in person we should be trying to please is the one in heaven. And God says, if you take care of the ones I put in front of you, you are fulfilling the calling and destiny upon your life. In Jesus' name. And let's not think that that limits us to making small impact. Because you never know who the one is that you're helping. And you never know the impact that that person might make. You never know when you are uh, helping somebody or a little child in the kids' ministry. You never know who the next evangelist to change the world is or the next pastor or the next world leader. You never know who the next political influencer for Christ is. But yet there you are one at a time loving on them, caring for them, blessing the ones that God brings to you. 
So many times I hear people like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go to these places or these nations, I gotta, I gotta do this because that's, that's where God's leading me. And I'm, and I'm a big believer of that because God's led me in many ways. But I'll also say this, that sometimes our anxiousness in the flesh needs to be tightened up. Just like I was praying that God used me and I, I wanted all that. I was like hyper. It's like a little rabbit just, you know, running around or something and just, ah. And God's like, just chill out, head downtown and follow the leading of my spirit. That moment blessed me more than preaching on some big stage. Let me tell you something. Because when God's moving, he'll do supernatural things. One, everybody say, just help one. You never know the person. You never know the impact that God will do in your life, but you never know who you're impacting. In 1905, a man was born named Howell. Howell was orphaned by the age 14. He, his mother died when he was five. His father, who was not a believer, raised him to the best of his ability. He got sick and he died. And at 15, he went off into the military. He forged some documents. He didn't have any home at that point, no money. And he became a Marine. And so there he was in the, uh, the 1920s, serving in the military, going to conflicts, fighting in Panama, these different conflicts of the era, seeing horrific things. He was full of anger and bitterness prejudice, judgment. He got hooked on cigarettes while in the military. He also began drinking a lot. When he came home from the military, he got out of it, and he was full of hatred for other races. He was a racist. He, he, he drank all the time, was constantly drunk. He smoked cigarettes, had no purpose to his life, and felt like dying. Howell was like many people in this world right now. Howell was just like so many in, right here in Mandeville. There's people like this right now. Maybe that was you at one point before God got a hold of your life. So one night he's stumbling around bored, and he sees on a sign that Pastor Piano is preaching at some local church. It wasn't really Piano. The name was Pano, but they got the A and the I mixed up on the billboard. And so in his drunken stupor, he said, Pastor Piano. I'm going to go listen to this guy, and I'm going to make a mess because this guy, Howell, loved to make a mess. He loved to start fights. He'd constantly get in bar fights. He'd constantly go and make racial slurs and try to get people to jump him because he had so much hurt and pain in his heart. The only way that he could express that and get it out was through physical pain being inflicted upon him or him inflicting it upon other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because hurt people hurt people. Are you in this room today? Well, the brother started preaching, and Hal sat on the back row, drunken, angry, ready to disrupt the service. But something on the inside of him wouldn't let him talk. He just listened. He listened. There wasn't a big crowd that night, maybe 40 or 50 people at the church. And at the end of the message, the pastor said, if you need Jesus tonight, I want you to come down to this altar. And Hal, before he knew what was happening, said he got up. And he walked down to that altar and dropped to his knees. And he gave his heart to Jesus Christ that night. He was the only one. The pastor prayed for him and could smell the alcohol on him. He said, Howell, this is the beginning of a work in your life. But you're going to have to take this and surrender your life to Christ. Otherwise, you're going to keep drinking. You're going to keep smoking. 
He said, Pastor, I'll never drink again. I lay it on the altar. And he never did. That night, the elders got together for some refreshments. And the evangelist was in the room. And everybody was so negative. He said, what a failure of a service. We think we should close this revival down because the only person who came down to the front was that drunk guy, Howell, and it won't stick. This isn't real. Why are we even doing this? The religious spirit was so deadly. The pastors, uh, the evangelist said, well, I'm just here doing what God called me to do. So the meetings went on, Howell came back. A week later, he got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his addiction to nicotine went. He never smoked a cigarette another day in his life. God began to transforming work in Howell, and he left those revival meetings when they were over. And he committed his heart to Jesus and started the work of ministry in the 1930s. That, that man, Howell, was actually my grandfather. And those little old ladies of religion that said what a failure it was for that one, per that one little old person who got saved who's not going to stick. Let me tell you, it did stick. And he dedicated his life to Christ. He led crusades all over the world. He worked with A. Allen, Oral Roberts, and Jack Cole. He helped put on some of the greatest revivals the world's ever seen. He had one child, which was my father. My father became an evangelist and therefore a pastor. And his life touched tens of thousands as well. And then out comes me. And here we are in the third generation. And now I'm blessed to say that my children are the fourth generation. I want to tell you something. That one moment has led to millions upon millions of people giving their heart to Jesus Christ. It has led millions of people in humanitarian efforts and aid, and it has touched the entire earth. But I want to tell you, the spirit of religion will look at a moment and say, who cares? It's just one person. I'll tell you who cares, Jesus. When he said, if you embrace one, you've embraced me. When you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Church, can we change our mentality and stop worrying about the fame of the world and understand the only fame we need to seek is the approval of our heavenly Father. And when we're obedient to him, it doesn't matter if it's just one. If that's the one God wants to bless our life with, then we say thank you, Jesus, and let him do the miracles. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you today. So many times we get stuck saying, well, God can't use me. How am I ever going to do that big thing? How am I? The big thing is the one, the one, the one that God gives you. Can I have a, well, there's another one. Who's the worship team? Any of the worship team that wants to come. I think they all, they'll show up. Worship team. Got a drummer. All right, let's just start. I don't know what kind of flow we'll get, but it's going to be good. We're going to pray here in just a moment. I want to pray for those that will stay and pastor's going to come up. Before we get to the last thing I just want to say is this. Before we get into this prayer time. My prayer today for this moment, for those that are able to stay. And if you have to go, that's okay, that's fine. But if you're able to stay, I believe God's going to be able to bless you and do something today. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit will begin to touch you, reveal to you the power of one. 
everything that I've ever seen God do in my life always was with one at a time. And it does multiply. It'll grow. But we have to be faithful to the one because we never know who the one is or why that one was brought into our lives. So today, I just want to encourage you. I, I, I had a one last story. I'm so good at stories. I got too many. I'll be real quick with this one. But it's, it'll stir your faith. I think, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm just trying to testify. Is that okay? I said, yes, Marilyn Hickey was a mentor of my wife and I for 10 years. And she said, Aaron, the next place that you're supposed to go is the nation of Albania. This was in 2010. And I said, she goes, do you feel that? Well, she was my mentor. I said, yes. Whatever you say, I feel. You know, it's like, good. you know, when you really respect a mentor, you just do whatever they tell you, you know. When it's the right setup and very trusting, she said, well, I'll get you the contacts and go to Albania and put the crusade on. So I started calling the Albanian people, never been there. And she had just done a big meeting and she said, I wasn't able to come back, but I'm going to send you somebody. And they picked me. The Lord did, really. She said, she prayed and the Lord said to send Aaron. So I called the Albanians. Now they had done a huge meeting with Dr. Hickey and it was a very expensive and big venue and all these types of things. And they said, what's your budget to me? I'm thinking, dude, I got no money. My budget's free, you know, like I don't. I'm like, I, I don't know. What do you think my budget? He's like, well, Dr. Hickey spent several hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah, I, I can't do that. Like, well, what can you do? And I'm like, I, what's the, I go, what's the cheapest you can do this thing for? That was my faith. Amen. And I forget. They said, well, for about $15,000, I think we could do something. Great. Yeah, let's do that. I figured, well, 15000 might as well have been 100000 to me at the moment. Because I didn't have it. You know, when you got nothing, it's all just big. <laughs> so I said, yes. Yes. Amen. Let's do it. So a few days go by, weeks, months. I try to share the vision with a few people. And you, isn't it wonderful when you're trying to build something for God and you share it. And you say, brother, I'm trying to go to Albania. Brother, these are people I know. People that know me. Brother, you know me. And brother, I'm just believing God for $15,000. I'm just praying somebody would help me in Jesus' name. Somebody with the means. Somebody who's God's blessed. You know, and I talk to people. Just, Lord, just speak to whomever I might be holding the hand of, God. You know, like. And they'd always go, amen, brother. I believe God's going to do it. Amen. Okay. You know, like I, I wasn't having success. You know, I was failing it. I failed. You ever step out in faith? You might feel like a failure. You might feel foolish. I felt foolish and dumb. That does something though. It breeds humility. You're either going to do one or two things in these moments. You're either going to quit, which is what the enemy wants, or you're just going to take all that shame and just shove it back on the altar and say, God, listen. You told, I, I had an argument with God. I said, you supposedly told Marilyn Hickey that I'm supposed to go. Would you please supply the need? Finally, I had two people give me $500 each. I had $1,000, one-fifteenth of the need was taken care of. I was so happy. But then several more weeks went by nothing. And I kept talking to Gary's. <laughs> These were different Gary's. Not that scary. Those Gary's want to respond, though. I couldn't, and I'll never forget, my wife and I was, I was getting stressed because every day the Albanians are calling me, hello, brother, have you sent the money? 
Nah, bro. It's praying it in, man. Okay, remember, we need money. Or no crusade, you know? Then it's getting time, and they're like, Okay, brother, we're two months out. You send money. And I said, no, no bro. Not quite. I'm still praying it in. But we're going to put money in your favor, but you owe us. Okay. I said, now I'm getting into debt. I don't know these people. I... Three weeks prior to the event, this was October of 2010. We have a church service, and I am stressed. I am stressed. I started to get Pastor James's gray hairs. They're coming, I know. I'm going to get I'm stressed. I'm in service, and my wife and I are in the service. And at the same time, she, I was playing piano. She was on the front row, and, like, God spoke to us at the same time to sow the $1,000 we had as an offer. And when you're married, you kind of get those like telepathic thoughts, you know, and I'm looking at her going, she's like, so she writes the check out of our little ministry account. Our 115th just went bye-bye. Now I needed 15, 15th, you know. I had zero, and we gave it. And I just was prepared to just walk away in complete shame. Go to Dr. Hickey and tell what a failure I am. You're a horrible mentor, apparently. I'm a horrible student. Something. I'm sorry. I was, I was ready to quit ministry. You know, like, I was done. I was beyond distressed. I was playing piano. I love piano. The next week, the next week, I was in church two weeks away. caught me in the, hey, 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 you know, you ever trying to get out the door and somebody grabs your coat? Hey, hey, yeah, what's up, man? What's up? It's like, hey, how's that Albania thing going? Talk about a dagger. Really bad, honestly, you know, like, he's like, hey, well, can I tell you something? He said, God told me to help you with that. Really? I don't know how much help it's going to be at this point, because I think we're not going to do what we're talking about. I said, I'm just, I don't know if it's going to happen. He's like, well, here's what God told me to do. How much money do you have left to raise? <laughs> I didn't want to say, you know. I was like, it's just a lot, man. It's a lot. It's more than I have. You know? This seemed like a million dollars to me. He's like, well, how much? 15000 And he, you know what he said? Weren't you asking for 15000 like two months ago? <laughs> yes. Yes, I was. Thank you. Can you make me feel this big? You're doing a good job. He goes, well, that's all right. God told me today. He woke my wife up and myself up, and we both woke up. And God told us, whatever Aaron needs for that trip, write him a check. So he pulled a checkbook out and said, 15000 and just wrote the check and handed it to me. I about passed out.
times we exhaust ourselves with stress over the what ifs. And God, if you don't do it, and the Lord's like, would you just chill out and have faith and understand that I got this and that it's all going to happen in time? And you know what happened? We had the meeting. Let me tell you, it was earth shaking in that little city of Toronto. And it grew and grew. We preached on the stage where the dictator used to say, God is dead. I preached on the same stage, God is alive. And we had hundreds and hundreds come to Jesus. It started a revival. We went back over and over again. And it grew from hundreds to thousands to even tens of thousands. It was a revival for that nation that continues to this day. We have seven Expect Hope facilities across Albania. Today, I work, get this, with the Prime Minister of Albania, the head of social services for that nation. They're inviting us as the top levels of that nation, working with the Department of State here in America, working with USA. All of it came from that moment, and I almost quit. Over $15,000, and God said, you just need to have faith. He took care of it. The businessman told me two years later, that one year after that moment, his miracle came. It was $1.5 million. He said it hit my business, and they blew up, and they expanded. And for his due, he just said, the Lord said, sow a seed, and I believe this is a harvest. Now listen. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just allow miracles to happen in your life. And watch the sons and daughters, that he's looking down at you as one of his, and he loves you. He's going to take care of you, and he's going to bless you. If you believe it, would you say amen? Come on, let's give God a praise this morning.